Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Can I Be Funny? <laughs> staring at me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know whether I was supposed to come in there and go <laughs> hello or not. I'm sorry, I'm not. Um, it's a very special episode today. Uh, for the second time in a row, I am joined by a professional comedian and a top podcaster. Well, when I say I'm, I'm joined, we're actually sitting in his, in his living room, so yeah. I'm joining him. Um, for any of you aspiring comedians out there, this um, his podcast, The Comedian's Comedian, is the first place I tell people to go to and listen to the pros talk about their careers and uh, how they write how they write their material. It's Mr. Stuart Goldsmith. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. No, no, thank, just... thank you for having me. Oh, no, that's quite all right. That's quite all right. For the benefit of the listener, which is a phrase I find myself saying on my podcast all the time, I've just been perving over James's incredible setup here and uh, deciding that I'm going to get... Um, some more of you know, just get some more equipment. This is great. Yeah, if anything. he's got a Tascam DR40, everyone. I didn't even know what that one was, and literally as he's been setting up, I've just bought one on Amazon. <laughs> if um, if no one sees me again, then you know that he's nicked all my equipment. Yeah, man. So I wanted to talk to you because when we're listening to your podcast, we only hear little snippets of mm-hmm. how you started and what your methods mm-hmm. are. So trying to go through sort of forty-four episodes and trying to get little bits. Um, so I thought it'd be nice to try and to get what you're all about in one sure. succinct chunk. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you started as a street performer, but how did you get into that? Um, I what well, did wow? Which way around did it all happen? It's funny. It's something I often say to my guests is to make sure that they don't just give me the PR thing <laughs> they've said a hundred times, which yeah. is difficult. When you do a lot a lot of interviews when you're a comic and. Um, uh, people, it's very easy to fall into the track of saying, well, then I did this yeah, and then I did yeah. that. So I'll try not to do that. <laughs> um, the way around it happened for me was the first ever performative thing I remember doing was when I was 11. It was ah. a school play. Yeah. I quickly, I was an unhappy kid at school and I kind of, uh, not all the time, but I was quite insecure. And uh, I suddenly realised that I could have love and attention and that ah. made me happy. And then... Um, Shortly after that, or around about the same time as that, um, I discovered a new friend. I made friends with this kid called Noel uh, at my school when we were about 11. And uh, he got me into a young people's theatre group in the West Midlands called Playbox. And I went there at the weekends and there would be girls Ah, and excitement and comedy and improvising and coming up with little sketches and making shows and stuff like this. Yeah. I never had that when I was 11. No, I don't mean that there were girls on offer. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was previously at a, an all boys school, oh, right, so okay, for me, yeah. it was just life changing. Yeah. Oh my god! So, and then over, you know, that and that that kind of that revelation sort of happened over like eleven, twelve, thirteen. Yeah, I was yeah. sort of going, oh wow, there's all this, there's a whole world out here, and um, and so I kind of became inextricably linked. The idea of me being happy became inextricably linked with the idea of me being a performer. Ah, um, so. That was sort of the beginning of the end, really. And then uh, Noel and I learnt the secret of how to walk on broken glass when we were about 16. That was the first... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go into it, no, but we, no. we watched someone do it and we went, I'm pretty sure we know how that's done. Yeah. It was an old sort of carny trick. And I was at the time very into Penn and Teller yeah. and I could juggle maybe three balls. I've been bought a juggling set, I think, for my 15th or 16th birthday. And... Uh, Again, oh look, people look at me when I'm doing this. But but also also I think juggling has um it's much maligned juggling. You're not going to hear any comedian really sort of stand up in support of juggling. But I bloody will. Um, it is such a whatever it looks like. However many hippies do it. Yeah. However many dreadlocked crusties you see doing it with a dog and a bit of string in the background. Um, the actual process of teaching yourself to do something 
completely new yeah. is a really exciting process. And you progress very, very quickly. You go, I've done seven throws. Now, I've, oh my God, I've done nine throws. Tomorrow yeah. I'm going to do 10 or 11. And um, it, that's another thing that gave me a lot of confidence in myself. I was like, oh, wait a minute, it actually got quite good. I mean, by the end of my... My uh, by the end of my development as a juggler, I could do seven balls, Ooh. and I probably can't do that anymore. But I can I can do five mm. and and not drop them. You know, were any of them ever on fire? Um, you can get those now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can get burning cage balls, but no, I could juggle fire torches and stuff. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah. the whole shebang yeah. gradually. So this 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 thing started whereby me and Noel went. Oh, look, there's circus stuff. We hate our school and we like performing. Maybe we should do something circusy, and um. I, well, I, don't, I mean, we could go into much more detail than this, but we, we basically, at the same time, Noel and I both left the school we went to. Went at to, 16. At 16. Yeah. Went to a college. Again, girls performing. Great. Went to Stratford College in the, go to the Midlands. And while we were there, we would go out and do street shows. I remember one afternoon in particular, but I know we did four or five. I've got a very crystallised memory of one afternoon where we went out into the street in Stratford-upon-Avon outside the Shakespeare Centre and we improvised a little street yeah. show where we blew fire and... So you literally just turned up and did just it. Just turned up and yeah. did it. And I'm, I'm always proud of that because most people who become street performers, the only way you become a street performer is by thinking, hang on, I can do this. Yeah. That's the only way you do it. Much the same way as a comedian. Um, but I, we had never seen a street show. So um, we were thinking, maybe we can just do this in the street, get some people <laughs> to look at us, and yeah. then ask them for money. And we'd never seen that model anywhere. We'd never seen anyone do it. So I'm very proud of us for having yeah. invented it <laughs> independently. <laughs> um, so we did that, and I, you know, I did a, I did a whole Edinburgh show about this. So yeah. it's, it's, I'm, I'm treading carefully, trying not to just retread yeah. the jokes I said. But there was a very key moment where we looked in the hat, we looked at each other, and we thought, this changes everything. I can buy a pizza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think we did. I think the first day that we did, we did three shows, and I think we made 30 quid each. That's quite a lot. Yes, it is. Wow. To a 16-year-old. Right, yes, I'm out is. the door now in uh, my, yeah. <laughs> my yeah. journey board. So, it, so that, that was a key, key moment for mm. me. And then I went, hang on, I can make a living as a performer. I'd always wanted to be an actor. I sort of still did, but that yeah. felt like a nebulous thing that you could be on TV, but it was all it had to be given to you. You had yeah. to be sort of reached down and plucked. Whereas street performing, you just do it. You walk out the door and you craft through courage and determination and sort of connection to this lunatic yeah. idea that it's possible, you can actually make theatre happen. You can make a performance happen. And that, I just fell in love with the impossible romance of that. that sounds good. Yeah. So did that for a bit. Sorry, you were going to interrupt me there, but I... No. I'm like, no, 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 get on it. It's my favourite subject. So, um, yeah, myself. Um, so, basically, in as short form as I can muster, I became a street performer. I went to circus school for a year. Um, when I finished that, I, I kind of went, okay, this is legitimate. I can actually, I can actually yeah. do this as a living. But I, I still was kind of intrigued with the idea of why be a performer... So I took myself to a crazy, wacky, hippie art college on top of a hill called Dartington College. Nice. Did some weird head exploring there for three years. And during the summers, me and Noel would go up to the Edinburgh Festival, do street shows every day, make some money, meet some good street performers. I was going to say girls. (laughs) (laughs) Meet some good street performers who became kind of our pedigree of the right people, gave us the right advice. And, uh, And then while we were up in Edinburgh, every year I would see predominantly Simon Munnery is the one I remember, but I would go and see loads and loads of shows. Yeah. And then that planted the seed for there's there's even more of a world out there. Yeah. There's something else out there. Yeah. And that's just slowly progressed into stand up. Basically, yes. I was um 
I, I never thought I could do stand-up. It's funny, I've not thought about this for a long time, but I, I saw all the stand-up. I used to love going to it. I felt that I didn't need to do it because I yeah. had my own identity as a street performer. But it became apparent that street performing doesn't necessarily lead to anything other than street performing. Yeah. And you also can't really explore ideas or, you know, it's it's a very live, passionate, sensual sort of moment. Yeah. Um, dare I say more so than some stand-up comedy, which I think is very cerebral in the transmission yeah. of ideas. Street performing is a lot more like, you know, pinging out of a cannon and, yeah. you know, just something just, you know, you catch it, you drop it, they cheer, they don't, you know, it's, it's very heightened. And... Um, and I'd just done loads of it. I'd done thousands of shows and I sort of thought, well, I'm ready to try something else. I became an actor for a bit, about which the less said the better. I always felt very fraudulent as an actor. I sort of feel like I can basically do the job, but yeah. I don't have the... It's not binary. I didn't have the confidence in myself. You can't yeah. do some acting and then think, yes, I nailed it. Because people can sometimes go, oh, you weren't very good, or you were very in the good. wrong way, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, you make them laugh or you don't. And that yeah. seemed to me something that my terribly insecure personality <laughs> cling on to. Whatever you say, they definitely laughed. Um, and then I just thought, you know, bollocks, I've got to try it. I'll yeah. just do one little, I'll book myself in for a gig and uh, and see what happens. When was that? What year? I, am not, I know that I did So You Think You're Funny in 2005. Yeah. And you've got to do that in your first year. And I'm a stickler for the rules, so I can't have been <laughs> earlier than 2004. That's not so. That's near nine years, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah I've been saying I've been saying it's eight years to people for so long. That it's, probably, <laughs> it's probably nine years now. Yeah. So you did. Was it different back then? Do you think doing the sort of open mic night because the internet wasn't as prolific as it is oh now? Oh my god. Okay. Well, from what I understand of you people and your open mic us, nights, us babies, <laughs> I've got a great analogy for you later. As I'm well, good. So, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. <laughs> Um, from what I understand from my friends now in the open mic circuit, yeah, it is absolutely different. I mean, it's still basically people turning up to rooms, being scared, forcing themselves to go on, dying or having an incredible night or, yeah. or thinking they smashed it when they really just got one laugh. But in yeah. your heart, that means you did a joke. and It, it was an original <laughs> thing you made. That is smashing it. Fuck it. Let's not be precious about this. You, that Smashing it or rocking it or whatever, yeah. or storming it. People get annoyed about the overuse of those terms. And yeah. I'm one of those people. But thinking about it, really, it's only ever a personal scale, is it? Yeah. And, and you know how well you did. And if you created an original thing that's new in the world because you minted it yeah. and it gets a laugh, well, fucking hell, you stormed it. That's fine by me. <laughs> so I, I think it's very different. The, the the difficulty I have is in looking at what is there now because yeah. I don't know much of what is about now. You've gone um, past that. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, yeah. Thank fuck, I deserve to. <laughs> Put the hours in. Um, but... I get asked oh, because of the podcast. Um, people email me fairly frequently and say, "Can you give me some advice?" Yeah. And I never really know what to say to them. And I, I, the two things I glibly say are, "Have a look at the Chortle forums and find a sticky yeah. thread that says advice for new comics." That's yeah. basically the the nuts and bolts. And the other thing I say is, "Don't listen to advice from anyone because because it, it's the job of comedy is to be as different from everyone else as yeah. you can be. Yeah. One of the, one of the many jobs." And I think if I don't know. I, I would feel like I, w I would feel awful if I told someone how I think it should be done, and then years later I saw them murdering it, and I think, <laughs> oh my god, I failed to communicate that properly. <laughs> Having said that, I have taught stand up to a, in, ah. in drama schools, just just like a one four hour workshop. Thing. Oh, right, yeah. And um, so, yeah, taught is probably the wrong word, but that that has always been about confidence and disassociative thinking, divergent thinking. Yeah. 
and it's all been about you know it's it's like you know as much as four hours can be about anything yeah. it's been about not being afraid to stand there and not being afraid to improvise so it's not like i've said hey this is how it's done yeah i think the best advice i ever got was from logan murray's book it goes for all the sort of exercises we did actually on the course but the one thing that i got from the book was the audience want you to be funny mm. and that was just like a little thing went off in my brain it's like well, of course, that's what they want. That is a, that's Never a clown thing that. as well. The yeah. audience are sitting there, think they're looking at you, thinking, "Save us! Yeah, save us from this silence." Yeah, we want it to work. <laughs> you know, almost never are they sitting there. You know, if you're Jimmy Carr at a, at a you know benefit function or yeah. something, <laughs> but but they're almost never sitting there thinking this guy's going to be crap. Yeah, unless you're at the Gong Show. Well, yes, and I never did the gong show. I never did the gong show. I, was... I couldn't see the point of... I So part of me thinks maybe I should have done it yeah. just to see what the experience was like. But fuck off. I've done I've done a Wednesday morning at uh, you know 11am in Chester in the yeah. rain to try and make a living, to try and make money. Yeah. So I feel like I've had enough of that combative sort of... or potentially combative environment. I never saw the point of throwing people in to the wolves. Well, my first ever gig was the gong show. Oh, yeah, well done. I went on last... Oh, I managed man. three and a half minutes. Well done. Well done. <laughs> From my little learned. experience of it, that sounds good. The only the only positive thing I would have to say about the gong show, besides, you know, it's stage time, we all yeah. need stage time. Um, and I can't say this man's name often enough, but do you know Mark Silcox? I think I've heard the name. Have a look on... I, I tried to find the video independently. Milo McCabe posted it on his Facebook page, a little yeah. video of him you know, beating whatever it is, winning the gong show. And uh, and he was very, very special. So as a means of churning through lots and lots of people having a go, as a means yeah. of like a, a point of open access to the whole world, yeah. yeah, fair enough. And part of me says, it's a shame that the point of access that we have to the rest of the world is deliberately scary and combative. Yeah. And part of me goes, well, I don't want everyone to do comedy. So yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's just as well. Um, my analogy for um, new comedians is if my total stage time is probably... 50 minutes at most if I add up all the gigs you're to- so you've done 9 gigs 9 gigs yeah. and you have under an hour's stage yeah. time in total this is incredible that you're, <laughs> that you're already doing a podcast about comedy with 9 I'm gigs I'm not giving the advice I'm asking no no very very, very wise very wise um, so if you say that my comedy career started at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning mm-hmm. I'm now at 9.50am mm-hmm. in the morning sure. what does anyone know at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning on their first day of work yes and I've been keeping that in my head, that's keeping me in check sure. to say, you don't know anything, sure. you need to keep on going. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Someone told me quite early on that, and rightly or wrongly, they've attributed it to Eddie Izzard. Someone told me that Eddie Izzard said, you're not a comedian until you've done 500 gigs. You can't call yourself a comedian. Yeah. And I don't know whether he said that or if that makes any sense, but historically, yeah. someone said that to me and I thought, well, that's as good as it. That's a good as, as good a peg as any other yeah. to hang that idea off because identity is very important to me and... The identity of a street performer was a hard one to let go of because yeah. I really felt like we walk between the raindrops. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I feel like there's us and there's the rest of the world, the normal world, and we exist in Neverland. And I expected comedy to feel like that as well. And it doesn't, to be honest. Um, but yes, it was important to me to think, okay, I can call myself a comedian at 500 gigs. Yeah. Um, to be honest, by the time I'd done 200, I'd probably started telling everyone. Yeah, some people say 100 gigs. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, it's nebulous. There yeah. is no, it's meaningless. Yeah. It's absolutely meaningless. Because even even hundred gigs is eight hours, I think, roughly. So that's one day of work. Yeah. Less. So yeah, put it into that sort of context. And there's um, someone mentioned Bethany Black had uh, recently combined this subject with stand up or adapted this subject to stand up. There is someone I want to say Seth Godin, 
but he might be an actor. I can't. I'm terrible with names. Um, I think there's a guy called Seth. Let's call him Seth Godin, who is one of those Malcolm Gladwell type. Here's my system for doing life and being successful. Yep. The sort of guy that all magicians have all of his books. Right. Because right. magicians just naturally are book learning. Yeah. Yep. We. This is how to. This is how to be more effective, more successful. Um, and I think so. Someone, whoever it is, has got this premise that you you have to do ten thousand hours of practice at something to become an expert. And that's probably wow. a more useful way of thinking about it than... I don't think I've done 10,000 hours in my job. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, but he's talking about becoming an expert. Like, oh, if you're right, going to be okay. like a concert pianist or a conductor yeah, or, an, yeah. or an, an airline pilot, you know, that's what that's the level yes, of commitment yeah, that we yeah, should yeah. be aspiring to. And someone in an email to me about the podcast recently mentioned that Bethany Black had said had said something. She said that could be adapted to comedy, which I think yeah. is an interesting way of looking at it. Definitely. Um, so, because I'm doing my five minutes at the moment, Standard five that everyone does. When, what was it like transitioning from that to the sort of tens and the twenties? I part of me wants to say I can't remember because it was nine, <laughs> nine years ago, as I've had recently pointed out. But I think, see, I'm, I'm not a very good person to ask about that because as a street performer, I was already doing 45, 50 minute shows. Yes. So yeah. I've always found it very difficult to kind of like I I never had anything other than complete faith that I would be a success as a stand-up. Yep. Now, that has been changed and adapted over time because what do we mean by making it? What do we mean by success? Yeah. But when I started doing spots, it and maybe maybe this is universal, maybe everyone thinks this, I did a spot, it wasn't very good, I thought, I'm going to do that better next time. Because I'd been through a process of, I'll do a street show, it's dreadful, they're walking away. Yeah. And then I went through a whole many years of going, now it's better, now it's better, now I'm pretty actually pretty fucking good at it. And and so I thought, oh, comedy that will that will pan out similarly. So what's changed for me about that is there's so much depth and subtlety to whether or not comedy's any good because there are people who are famous that I don't think are any good. Name me no are, names. No, well I don't. I don't like to do that. I mean, no one does. It's difficult because I know as an interviewer, you're like name the names. I want the information. This the dirt. But but what I mean is there's it's possible to do well. My whole thing about whether something's binary or not, whether yeah. they laugh or they don't. I know now that you can make them laugh without being good. It's all about the performance, I've found. I'm, I'm, what I'm talking about, it is, but what I'm talking about specifically is tricks, is learning the sort of bag of stock that a lot of compares use, yeah. say, pushing the right buttons. You know, some of them feel like a, a good thing that I resolved a few years in was as a compare, what you need to do is ask provocative questions and then see what happens and roll with what happens. Yeah. So arguably that's a trick, but it's quite an open-ended trick. It's a, it's not really a trick, it's a technique. Whereas I think there's a lot of other, the ways you can make a room full of people all laugh together, yeah. that that you could just tell someone on a list and they could walk on and do them from a list and they would still work. So that thing has become muddied for me now about as, as to what's worthwhile. What's, what's really unpacking a subject? What's yeah. really getting the most out of a subject that you're talking about what's the most original way of doing it and not just the material what about the performance what about the way you do it what you know is it possible to do a subject that's a bit tired but the performance actually takes it somewhere completely other yeah and that's i've always found that very difficult because i always thought there was what you had to do i always thought there was and i'm i'm doing little bunny ears <laughs> yeah, course, doing yeah. the little comments <laughs> i thought i approached comedy thinking okay comedy exists i have to fit into that and I think that's wrong. Yeah. I, that's why I say that people don't take advice from anyone is because they're only going to turn you into what they think comedy is supposed to be. And I think I gave myself in the early days a lot of advice in inverted commas again um, 
as to if you want to be one of those guys, you have to behave like those guys. And I think now that's completely wrong. Yeah. All of my favorite acts are people who don't behave like those guys. They don't, they don't follow, you don't go, you don't look at someone and go, how can I be most like McIntyre? Or how can yeah. I be most like Tony Law or Stuart Lee or no matter who they are? Because people who are really exciting me, the people who I, I go and see again and again and again, the people who I regard, when I'm doing my little Edinburgh Fringe list that we're all doing <laughs> at the moment, the people who I regard as, that's not a conversation, I'm obviously going to go and see them, are people like Nick Helm, Stuart Lee, yeah. Tony Law, Simon Munnery, People who do stuff that's weird and different. And the reason I'm going to see them is, A, they've got a proven track record. I've always liked their stuff. And B, you can't get what they're doing anywhere else. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's good. If this were me, I'd put one of my little twiddly stings in there. <laughs> yeah, you lose a lot of those. What I'm doing at the moment is, is learning all these little things. And you know when you think, I had this this bit in my set where... I do a callback to like a, a minute before mm -hmm. to, to make the punchline for this joke. Mm -hmm. When I did it, it worked brilliantly. And then I had to do the, kind of the same thing again at the end of the set where I, I say I was thinking something. And in the first callback, I did that. I thought, this is brilliant. I'll put that same callback in the end. They'll think I'm a genius mm -hmm. putting this callback in. I did it. No laughs whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I just realised... Yeah, you, you've got so much more to learn now. You, you're an idiot. To, I thought that's going to be perfect. Yes. I think I'm so clever doing that. Yes. Doing all these little um, comedic tricks. You know, sure. The callbacks. And... I mean, the thing is, James, and I mean this with the greatest of respect, <laughs> from the perspective of, let's talk about it from your perspective, from yeah. the perspective of you, 300 gigs down the line, you will gnaw your own hand off at how embarrassed you are about how you're talking now. And I don't say that in a mean way. And I don't say that um, to, to insult you or anything yeah. like that. You in the future will totally agree with me. You don't know anything. <laughs> I know. You don't know anything. And that's what, that's so, so that's exciting. That's what I mean. I did that and thinking, oh, I will be, that's really, I'm going to be sure. really clever. Then I did it and realised, no, you're not being clever. Just, yeah. You need to do lots more gigs before you even. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and let's, let's, let's take that for granted. We all, I don't know anything. I've yeah. been doing it nine years. I don't know fucking anything. <laughs> that's why we all keep coming back to it. I think yeah. that's why I keep coming back to it. Because every time you, you just you find a little new thing and you go, oh, that I've actually, that's mine. That's really mine. And then you either hear someone else has done it years ago or you yeah. or you you realise it's an echo of something someone else did. And sometimes, just sometimes you go, No, that that bit, I think I I think I invented that. And nine years in, I can think of one or two things like that. Yeah. That are that are that are mine that, that I don't think I've heard anywhere else. Can you give examples or you don't want to give them away? No, I um and okay, yeah, the one I'm specifically one I'm thinking of, and now I'm going I'm going to hang myself because I'm sure it's it's a, it's a, it's a variation on a very standard thing. I guess you could describe it as a variation on a on a pull back and reveal. Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. So it's a variation on that, but it's my variation. So I'm having a I'm having a, a conversation with someone, and I've pointed out in the story that they're fat. And that's out of character for me to point out something like that. It's mm -hmm. mean. I'm very nice on stage. And people yeah, people slightly. register slightly. They go, oh, that's a bit mean. The studio said that. But they think nothing of it. And then, and I've done, I did this in a show last year. And I've sort of written it. I've taken the same thread and I'm putting it into a new bit I'm writing. Um, and then I have a conversation with that person. And during the conversation, they say something unlikely. I say to them, well, that doesn't sound like something you'd say. And they say to me, well, I don't really exist, do I? You've made me up for the purposes of explaining your idea. And I say to them, to win the argument, I say, well, in that case, I'm going to make you fat. 
<laughs> so it, it, you know, it, really, it's just a callback and reveal. Yeah, except yeah. it it takes place in reported speech, which you're admitting at the same time. It didn't happen. So yeah. you know what I mean. So it's yeah. So that I'm really proud of. When yeah. I thought of that, I properly ran around the room laughing and thinking, <laughs> "I'm a genius. That's the funny thing, funniest thing ever." I'm sure. You know, someone will email me or you and say, "Oh, actually, you know, Steve Martin was doing that thirty years ago." <laughs> but what the, the reason I point that out is the reason I use that example is to say that I don't know anything. I don't know anything about comedy. I don't know anything about clowning. <laughs> I don't know if anyone does know anything about those things. And I think that I used to think there would be a formula. Mm. I used to. The reason I was trying to emulate those people was because I thought they knew how it worked. Yeah. And every time you think you know how it works, you're dead. I think. I really do believe that. Because I think the people who are truly superbly funny, the Tommy Coopers of the world, yeah, they they have a sense of what they've, they've got their teeth into something and they don't know what it is. And then they embody it and it becomes brilliant. And then because they're the sort of person that is the sort of person I'm talking about, yeah, as soon as they've learned it and got it, they drop it and want to find something else. Ah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Whereas there's a lot of people who find a bit of something and spin that out to a career. Yeah. And that is fine. And Christ knows I'm probably doing that. I think I am. <laughs> I think what I'm finding is like, what if I, if I juggle something? If I talk with confidence for long enough, people will A, listen, and probably something will happen that will end up being funny enough that yeah. I've bought it. You know, maybe I'm just... My, my long dark nights of the soul are all about how... I've just I've just grabbed charisma. I've really got a bit of charisma. I've definitely got that. And I'm spinning it out as hard <laughs> as I fucking can. But I, I think the people who are the real geniuses are people who, as soon as they've learned something, the joy goes out of it because they've learned it now. So now they have to find the next yeah. thing. Yeah, luckily I still haven't done that yet. Yeah, well, this is, you know, this this is all stuff. This is, this is stuff that I hope is still continuing to keep me addicted to mm. comedy in my 60s and 70s. Yeah, because you were saying on the podcast a couple of times ago about comedians get better as they get older oh yeah i mean that's not my that's not my opinion i believe that's you know that's i've heard a lot of people say that and i I totally agree with it because i was reading something today on the bbc website about um you know keeping your brain going to get rid of dementia oh yeah yeah so doing stand-up hopefully yeah keep me sane yeah Um, yeah i could absolutely see i think if you can do sudoku and crosswords in order to keep dementia at bay i think thinking about jokes could could work you might find that it gets mistaken for senility because you end up operating <laughs> on such a higher level of comedy. You're in fact effectively just sitting there drooling, having lucid comedy dreams. Um, so going back to stagecraft, when did you go on stage and you were happy and comfortable to be there? Because at the moment I'm kind of a bit, I need to remember what I'm saying. I need to remember, they're not laughing. This isn't how it went in my head. When did you sort of get just relaxed? Or are you relaxed on stage? Good question. I think... Again, for me, it's a funny one because I'd had thousands of hours of stage time before I started doing stand-up. Yeah. Stage time specifically trying to make people laugh as well as, you know, juggling all the rest of it. I was, I've been, I mean, it's weird. Next year, it's 20 years in showbiz. Ooh. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> making, making people laugh for a living. I'll be 36 in a week and that's 20 years in showbiz. That's hilarious. Um, but... So, in, but but it is different. It's obviously different. Yeah, I'm not saying that you, just because you're a street performer, you could walk on suddenly a great yeah. comedian. Absolutely not. Um, and I think for me, I only speak to my own experience. I would say that I am not yet 
100% comfortable every time I walk on stage. Ah. I don't know if that's true of all comics uh, or not. I have absolutely no idea what anyone else's comfort levels are like. Um, if it's working, if I'm flowing, then I'm completely confident and comfortable. Yeah. And I have that thing, which me and my mate Pete Dobbing always say, it's like being in the Matrix, where it's bullet time. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, someone say, you're, you're coming back to a heckle and you know that your next joke's going to kill them, and then someone else heckles you in the meantime, and you just move in slow motion and deal with that, ah. and then that, and then you improvise something else brilliant and segue into it, back into your story, and then you punch like a... You know, those moments don't happen all the time. I wish they yeah. did, but that's those are the moments I aspire to. And in those moments, I feel 100% serene. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the room. It, certainly for me now, if you look at somewhere like the Queen's Head in Denman Street in Piccadilly, yeah. it's one of my favourite rooms for comedy in the world. In, in the world, yeah. In the, well, in the country. <laughs> and of the 12 or so places I've done out of the country, it's kind of my favourite. Um, it can only seat 40 or 50 people. Ah. It's wood panelled, so the laughs resonate. So when an audience right. enjoys themselves, they all know they're enjoying themselves and it kind of catches because it, yeah. it just builds up all the energy. And critically... I did hundreds of gigs there as an open spot where there was nothing on the line and no money and, you know, yeah, no nothing. If I walk into the comedy store, which I'm pleased to say I'm now an act that plays the comedy yeah. store, um, I've done my first paid uh, 20 for them recently. Ooh, ah, yeah, yes, I mean, that's, that's I've been going a long time. Yeah. But I was pleased to say that when I did do it, it was it went down very well in a kind of a where have you been way. So yeah. I felt good about that. I was like, yeah, where have I been? Um, so, so I can walk on stage to the Queen's Head in, in Denman Street, feeling really good, in any sort of, you know, I just feel, I just feel good about it. Yeah. I just feel confident. I can walk into the comedy store and still have a lump in my stomach. Yeah. And go, oh, God. <laughs> um, so it changes very. It changes based on the room. It changes based on how I'm feeling at the time. What sort of a day I've had. Whether I've had a good gig recently. Yeah. It changes on who's in the crowd. It changes on. I mean, I I'm terrible one for choking under pressure. What I need to do is I'm going to do this. I need to get a video camera and video every single one of my shows. Have you not been doing that? Not to watch them. No, no. Have you not been doing that already? This is... You asked me before, how has the circuit changed? Have you not yeah. been doing that already? That's obvious. Mate, when I started, I mean, video cameras were still comparatively expensive yeah. 10, yeah, years, 10 years ago. It's um, so funny. I, I've, I've applied for a street performing festival in Christchurch and yeah. they've said, can you send me your promo? And I'm right. like, oh, Christ, I mean, I'm retired <laughs> as a street performer. Yeah, yeah. And when I was a street performer, if you had a website, you were considered a bit keen. Uh, so do you think that sent me a YouTube video? I'm like, Christ, I feel like an old man. Um, but, um, but the reason I would tape all my shows is because I need to get used to the, I need to get used to not thinking about the fact there's a camera on me. Because I tend to choke a bit under pressure. But surely the acting would, can't you bring those skills in for the act? Because if you're performing in front of a camera for acting, you know. When I was an actor, I was a stage actor. I've only done one TV job. Oh, I don't have a lot of experience being uh, an actor in front of a camera. I see. I right. tend to freeze up a little bit because right. I'm used to humans. I'm I'm a charisma guy. If yeah. I can look in someone's eye and, and they're twinkling and I twinkle, yeah. then it's fine. If I look in someone's eye and they hate it, and I I, I can find that funny. You know what you could do? But what, just looking into a blank lens yeah. still creeps me out. Get some of those glasses that the, the eyes painted on and put it on top of the camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, so... So that's what we talk about, feeling comfortable. Yep. So one of the things I need to, that's an area I need to work on is feeling comfortable in front of yeah. a camera because I'm a, light, I'm a song and dance man. I can't uh, sing, I can't dance, but I'm a song and dance man. Yeah, a friend of mine um, went to Glastonbury and got pulled on stage with uh, Sir Bruce. You mentioned. I did, yeah. yeah. He absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. it. I think they had the um, the Strictly Band in the background as well. Mm. 
and he was <clears throat> over the moon sort of doing a selfie with Brucey on his phone um, he loved it isn't that hilarious you get pulled on stage in front of thousands of yeah. people with Bruce Forsyth <laughs> the full band what's the first thing he does gets his camera phone yeah. out and takes a picture of himself the world's changed it doesn't happen unless you take a picture of it yeah. um, so obviously you've, you've done the street for and you got paid for all that but what was the first time you got properly paid for a gig do you remember that what, what did that feel like I'm struggling to remember the exact incident because, I'm, you know, I can't help but keep going back to this. As a street performer, I was sort of the equivalent of a headliner. If yeah, I went yeah. out and did a gig as a street performer, if a, a booked gig, it'd be 250 quid plus. Blimey. So to go back to being a, you know, to being a lowly open spot, I was like, oh, well, that's fine. At the weekend, yeah. I'm going to do a booked street performing gig or, you know, go out and busk at Comic Con. Um, so I don't remember which gig it was. An early gig I do remember was my first comparing gig, which I was given ah, by Mirth Control. Yeah. And I remember Jane from Mirth on the phone to me saying, okay, can you go and, can you go and compare this thing? So, you know, two-hour drive away. And I remember saying to her, oh, I, 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 I've never compared. I can't compare. And she goes, yeah, you can. You'll be fine. All right. Okay, fine. <laughs> and she goes, it's, it's 50 quid or 40 quid or something like that. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, I can, really? I can compare. Yeah. <laughs> I went and did it. And I remember how nervous I was before comparing for the first time, which is hilarious now. Yeah. The street performers make brilliant compares because, you know, we just get it. <laughs> you know, we get, we've, just got a, we've just got a head start. Is all. And so I remember that. I remember that feeling of getting paid and... Obviously, it means it means the world, but I don't. Yeah. I don't. It, I suppose I don't kind of connect it with a specific gig. Tell you what, I do remember the ones that I didn't get paid for. Ah. I remember the ones where I remember a gig that I did for Martin Besserman of Monkey Business fame, where Scott Capuro was doing an opening twenty for cash, and I was doing an open spot afterwards for five minutes. Yeah, and uh, for free, obviously, open spot. And Scott didn't show up. He was late getting there. So I went on and did a 20. Jeez. And Martin didn't give me any money. I remember Ooh. that. <laughs> I, remember, I remember me opening Martin's club and him not paying me. But I remember that a lot more than I remember someone, you know, the first time someone bugged me 20 quid. Because yeah. to me, it was like, I, I know that yeah. me performing equals cash. So it's, you know. Was right for some. Yeah, well, yeah. In a certain way, it is. And then you look back on the fact that you've got no CV. And if I yeah. lose my voice, I've got literally nothing else I can yeah. do. And, uh, you know, I don't have anything to fall back on. You don't do any writing, TV stuff? No, nope, don't write no, for any TV no, shows. I've no, never understood how people get into that. No, it's difficult. I've been, just this week, I start. I want to do another podcast, um, like a comedy sketch one, because yeah. I, I can't find any on iTunes. There don't seem mm -hmm. to be any People sketch actually shows. doing sketches. Yeah, yeah, true. I think there's BBC stuff, but not mm -hmm. like independent stuff. So I've been trying to write these sketches. It's really difficult. Mm -hmm. I can't seem to write a punchline. But I can do stand well. <laughs> I can do stand up. <laughs> Nine gigs in. I'm yeah. not stand up. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Well, I could write and go, there's the punchline. Sure. Full stop. Sure. But well, it's a whole, it's a whole yeah. different discipline. I, you know, I'm sure once you've written nine sketches, you're nine sketches. <laughs> much more confident. That's, that's another fall then. <laughs> so you must be at the point now where people ask you to do gigs rather than you ask to do gigs? No. No? no. Well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. Yes, yeah. I do. I do get requests specifically for me from time to time. Yeah. And I'm known to clubs, so I'm on the I'm on the email list that goes round. Yeah, I'm on um, the ones I notice. Oh, there's an interesting thing. Oh, my, 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 I don't know, it might be interesting. I feel that by having a live booker, uh, Sally Carter, who is an excellent, a genuinely excellent live booker. I know she's good because I'm never in two sides of the country on consecutive nights. Right. You know that old hacky thing of look, because my agents are bastard. <laughs> um, never happens to me. And every gig I go to, people go, "Oh, are you with Sally? She's brilliant, isn't she?" Um, she looks after me, Paul Sinner, Marcus Birdman. She does Chris Martin's live diary. Um, and some others are embarrassed to say. Oh, Jim Campbell. Um, Jim Smallman. Jim Smallman, oh, yeah, not Jim, Jim Campbell. Jim Smallman. Um, and uh, I 
think she's excellent. I value her work very highly, but I'm also aware that I may have missed out on making one-to-one connections with individual gig bookers. Ah, right, the ones yeah. that I have made through Sally, initially she got me the gigs in the first place, I value very greatly. I get on very well with Jane Hardy, who books up the creek and bits and bobs. Um, and I, I really like that. I like those friendships, but I'm aware that they, I don't ring them and they don't come to me. Yeah. It all goes through my agent. As, much, as brilliant as I think my agent is, and I wouldn't, I don't think I would have done it differently, but I do think when people, younger, newer, I mean younger, newer comics say to me, yeah. oh, I need to get an agent, yeah. there is a lot to be said, I think, in retrospect, for building up relationships yourself. And yes. That wasn't quite your question, but that, I think that's I think that's that's really worth saying. I know Jimmy McGee does his own diary. Jimmy and I start, started yeah. around the same time, and he has got really good relationships with people and knows. You just sort of get more of a sense of how it ticks. Yeah. On the other hand, there's a lot to be gained from having an agent who you can use as a buffer if you need to turn something down, yeah. or they can check something out on your behalf. I did a corporate recently, and I, I got copied in by mistake to, and I don't think it was by mistake, but I noticed for the first time a checklist that Sally would send out to potential corporates. Yeah. And it's exhaustive, it's comprehensive, and to think that she's been doing this the whole time and I didn't even know, uh, I was like, yeah. oh, that's why corporates <laughs> haven't ever been as hellish as everyone says they are. Because she's sending them information saying, if there's a bottle washing, if there's a glasses washing machine in the bar, it has to be off during the performance. Any screens have right. to be switched off. Total silence, all this stuff. Yeah. And, and you think, oh, I've just been lucky with corporates. <laughs> no, I haven't, there's been someone working really hard. So there's definitely, there's, you know, there's, there's advantages to, to both both situations. Yeah, this is the thing I find about the because I don't say I know about the uh, the the five minute stuff. It's just literally me turning up, doing a gig, off we go. Mm-hmm. You see the big people on the telly doing Apollo and all that, and I'm just learning about the stuff in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's the I think that's the most fascinating bit. All yeah. For the course that I went on, there was an open evening, and there was four guys that came up on stage, did some stand up, then did a Q and A at the end. And there was a girl that just literally just finished the course and there was three other people that had done the course like four or five years ago. And one guy, he was he was really funny on stage, but not like amazing or blew me away. I'd never seen him before. And he said, yeah, I quit my job and I could go and earn a living doing comedy. I was like, you can actually do this as a job full time. Mm. That was mm. that blew my mind, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which is partly why I think I, I can carry on doing this because yeah, I can... you can. I can do my day, because I own the company that I yeah. work for, I can massage the you're, hours around so I'm kind of in a, in a really good position to you're do in it. the same position I was when I when I I was being a street performer yeah. I was in charge of my own life and I could do it whenever and that was an enormous yeah. advantage I think I'm I think I'm quite lucky um, I think I, I agree I think you definitely are and I think it's definitely possible I, that's the scary thing to be honest I'm talking about it's definitely possible to start yeah the industry is or isn't in some sort of crisis and God knows whether it is or not. I don't know, but more and more people are doing it. Like you say, I mean, I've started doing a podcast. I wasn't the first person to do it. I sort of feel like I was the first person to ask people about their writing process. I haven't seen that anywhere else. And now there's a lot of other people doing that. There's so much room on the internet. There's so many humans. And it used to be that comedy was scary. It used to be, I'd say to someone, I'm a comic and they'd go, no way. And now I tell them I'm a comic and they go, oh yeah, my brother does a bit of that. Ah. It's everywhere now. Whether it can support itself or not, I really don't know. So I only say that because I was, I was sort of in the process of saying to you, if you think you can do it and you've got the get up and go to have your own company and get stuff done and yeah. be recording loads of podcasts and getting on it, all you need is determination and drive and ambition all the rest of it. You don't need to be naturally funny to make a success of yourself as a comedian. Certain doors will forever remain closed to you if you're not yeah. a comedy genius. <laughs> but as a job, 
it helps if you're funny. But I know people, and again saying no names, who are not that funny, but love comedy, live, breathe and sleep it, and have fashioned a career out of it through hard work and through grit. The reason I mentioned the industry thing is I don't know what the industry is going to look like in five or ten years. Yeah, so I don't feel change. like I can look look you in the eye and go, you're definitely going to make it. Yeah. In the way that I'd be giving that sort of, you know, quite <laughs> like talk to someone else. Because I don't know what it there will be to make. You know, I, that's not a sentence. But... Um, I don't know what I don't know what it'll look like in five or ten years. It, it's unrecognisable now to yeah. who it was when I started. I feel like, and I know a lot of my contemporaries feel like, we just got in under the door before it went mental. Ah, that's interesting. I had a thought the other day. If I'm doing this, am I stopping someone else who's really good from doing it? Am I taking up someone else's place? <laughs> when you're certainly <laughs> eating food that no one else can eat, <laughs> sort of. A, a, just no, a bit you're, worried, you're not because you're not taking up that space. That mm. person will get booked down the line. That person will do better than you. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <coughs> you know, if we're talking about a sort of a hypothetical person who's better than you, yeah. chances are they'll do better. They might get hit by a bus. You know, they might... I need they, to get hit by a bus on the way here. You did. <laughs> <laughs> they, might, um, they might decide comedy's not for them. I went through a situation where there was someone I was started around the same time as me who yeah. I was always really jealous of. I was like, oh, that person's going to make it. They're going to yeah. do better than me. I wish I'd thought of that joke. Oh, I did think of that joke, but I didn't write it down soon enough. Oh, fuck. And they stopped. And I went, ah. oh. Oh, right. Ah. Oh, okay. I win! (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you think it's possible for humans to write every joke that could ever be written? I mean, is there an infinite amount of jokes or... I refer you to the Comedians Comedian podcast, episode 26, featuring Stephen Grant. I've got that In which I ask him this question and he says, don't be ridiculous! (laughs) I I, I frequently panic. I used to panic that I will run out of fun. That'll be it. And I... Panic like that because I'm insecure and I doubt my own confidence, I doubt my own ability. Yeah. Stephen proved it to me with logic. Not you. you there are you cannot run out of ideas. Yeah. Because you can get more and more specific about everything, and you can say every idea in a hundred different ways. And even if two comics told exactly the same one-liner, a hundred different comics could tell. Yeah. There we go. That's a project. Do that. A hundred different comics delivering the same joke in their own unique way. Ah. No one would watch it. You'd be bored by the fourth one. But my point stands. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I don't think it's possible to run out. Do you ever get listeners? Because I was watching um, your friend Jim Campbell was on Dirty Dicks the other week. And I was talking oh, yeah. to him. Jim's great. And um, do you ever watch someone and just go, why didn't I think of that? Because some, some stuff you just go, that is so obvious. Oh, someone... even worse. Yes. And even worse is thinking, I did think of that. Uh... I thought of that exact <laughs> thing, but I didn't articulate it in that way. And now it's gone. Yeah. Now it's gone because now it's your idea, not my idea, even though it was my idea. <laughs> Yes, it happens all the time. The only solution to that is to turn is to get every idea that you've yeah. got out there. How do you jot down your ideas? Gosh, this one is similar to mine, isn't it? Yeah. How <laughs> many teeth? No. Um, uh, I put them into my phone, which is a really bad system because they get lost in a program called Simple Note. And even though that I started doing that because I used to keep a poc- uh, little book in my yeah. pocket, little um, the classic mole scheme. Oh yes. And uh, I lost it, and it fucked off months worth of yeah. scribbling and stuff. So I started putting them in my phone. It connects via a little free app called Simple Note, all one word. Connects up to an online thing, so they're all safe even if I lose my phone. Um, but I also use it for reminders, the movies I want to watch, yeah. things, books I should read. Little hey, remember we saw that band and stuff like this. And it's very, very difficult to dredge through it. I haven't been writing a new show this year because I'm not doing a new hour anymore. Ah, okay. But in September, I will sit down and look through thousands and thousands of notes and. 
come up with two funny premises <laughs> and the rest of them I'll either forget what they mean or they'll just be lobster question mark or or uh, yeah yeah I think we're doing it the same way I use one note so it's all synced with the clouds so even if yeah. I leave my phone it's, it's... but I I'm, and this is this is a key thing that I've started doing recently I don't write on my computer anymore oh. I look at my list of things I take one thing I turn the computer off I get the hell away from it and I walk around the room and then when something is funny enough to write down I write it down in my notebook. Do you lick as I cannot trust myself to be online and not think, oh, I'm writing a joke about seals. What kind of seal do I mean? What kind of seals are there? I'll just Google it. Bang, suddenly an hour lost to Facebook. I'm just going to go and buy a Tascam. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I spend hours doing what I think is work. But when I look back at it, I go, no, what you did there was you cut yeah. and pasted the same sentence or paragraph a hundred different ways. And every time you reread it, you went, no, it's funnier that way. And then yeah. you reread it, went, no, it's funnier that way. And then you went to a gig, couldn't remember which one you decided on, blurted it out and killed it. So now I just try and come up with funny ideas because I, I really, there's a personal challenge for me. I really got stuck in having to... Um, uh, finessing things over yeah. and over again and then not being able to remember them and it just kills all the comedy from it and I'm a firm believer now that you come up with an idea that's funny and if it's funny it doesn't matter how you say it and you just say it more and more often and yeah. then you know then that's oh that's you know the funniness of it comes out live I was watching um, there's a video of Jerry Seinfeld actually going through his notebook mm -hmm. he literally writes it as a script mm -hmm. and shaves little bits and pieces off here and there mm -hmm. to get the joke out which I, I thought he'd be just going off and doing it no no I, I think that's 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 interesting and valid and i would do that once the stuff exists ah. once it exists in clubs and works then i'll feel happy to write it down knowing that it works ah, and okay. then go through it and tweak it and twiddle it i probably in my first show in 2010 the reasonable man which i did it in edinburgh um i knew it all i knew it all backwards and i had shaved and trimmed and worked and honed and all these little things Equally, there's material I've made since then that I haven't done that process to, and some of it is stronger material. Yeah. Um, but don't start on a computer, would be my advice. Don't start on the page. Start out loud. Start in your head. Make a note to remind you. Yeah. I'm sure someone I've spoken to on the podcast, I forget who, just puts a maximum of two words for every idea, because if you can't remember it from those two words, it yeah. isn't good enough. It's not funny enough. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Because to start with, I wrote, I wrote it all as a script, then I bullet-pointed it, and then I put those bullet points in houses down my street. And then when I was on stage, I was just going from house to house trying to remember all yeah. the little bits. But I, because I'd written it, I kind of came back out yeah. with the same thing. Yeah. And then I had a gig on a Monday. And on the Friday before, it was my daughter's sports day. And because I do a lot of running, I thought, right, I'm going to wipe the floor with these other dads because I'm a runner. I'm just going <laughs> to... And I failed completely miserably. <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to put this on in the set on Monday, but I'm not going to write it. I'm just going to say, I'm just put running. Yeah. And then I did the set and I felt really good after doing it. Yeah. And that was the first time that I'd not written anything. Yeah. So I thought, right, I won't because write anything now. The way most of us are funny day to day is yeah. transactionally and conversation. And none yeah. of us are saying anything that we've written down and thought of beforehand. That would be like an awful date. You know, emergency yeah. <laughs> topic number seven. You know, and um, so really it's, it's having the idea, having the concept, the premise, the angle, whatever it is. Yeah some ideas around it and it really should be just like telling your mates a story that you've told a few times before and you chuck loads of invention into it that's exactly what, what, what that's what i'm aiming to try and do mm. but how did how do you remember stuff because 
mine just floats I away. I am terrible at remembering stuff. Really? I, I find it hugely problematic. The little amounts of TV and acting work I've done, I find it very, very hard to remember lines. I end up with awful, complicated mnemonic systems that trip me up. Yeah. Um, what I did last night, I did a, a corporate gig last night for the uh, Anaerobic Digestion and Biogas Industry Awards. Nice. And I'd written about five minutes about anaerobic digestion, <laughs> which I am proud to say God, I got some fucking laughs out of. But I was wandering around for an hour beforehand, saying the stuff out loud, right. reminding myself, and I built a couple of little pictures. I knew that I a particular routine of mine, a particular joke, I was talking about how they had to sex up the industry because anaerobic digestion, you know, biomethane pronounced by bacteria in an ecodome doesn't sound as cool as asphyxia fuel created by ultrabugs in a wonder pond. <laughs> and I was really pleased I made that joke work. That was one of those ones where I wrote it down and I laughed out loud when I reread it. I went, that's going in. I've got to remember that. So I went over that line again and again and again. And then I, I put a little a mental picture in my head of when I get to the bit with wonder pod, then I'm going to do a bit where I rebrand a member of the audience and I right. talk to some bloke and say, what's your name? Colin. Okay, we're going to call you Raul. And, <laughs> and so I just imagined Colin being in a Wonder Pod. So I thought when I get to Wonder Pod, I'm going to get to that bit and then there's Colin. Ah, and then I went through that. I kind of went through my lines a couple of times. Yeah. And, and when I got to that bit, I remembered I'd put it there. Uh, but that was super new. That was new yeah. written for a one-off occasion. There's so. another video you did about, it was a Welsh rugby stuff. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. is that, you had to write that in 48 hours and then do, yes. do it on stage. Yes. The that stuff. was during the ill-fated Show Me the Funny program on ah. TV1, which was before your time because you're only nine gigs in. That's ah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I might have to go iPlayer it. Um, so, did you literally write all five minutes of it? Because there's some stuff that's a bit kind of like um, sort of like improv where you go on about yeah. the guy had a dragon for a cock. Yeah, did actually, you write that? I did write that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Actually, you could refer to that specific one. Um, yes. What was that bit about? I said, "Look at you. How many?" How many? I, I how many cocks have you got? How many cocks have you got? I said I've got. I know. I, I mean, I'm a boy. I know I'm a boy. I've got a cock. I've seen it. But yeah. look at this bloke. I was gambling on there being someone massive in there, which fortunately there yeah. was. The very beginning, you can see me walk on, With the... and I look around, going shit, 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 shit. I can't see anyone massive. I was assuming there'd be someone. My opening joke is about someone having a big neck. Yeah. I was just gambling on there being someone. Actually, it's old men there, ladies there. Thank fuck. Look at this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I launched it here. So then I was picking on the big guy and I was like, you've got, I mean, I can't imagine how many penises you've got, sir. You must have like, God, loads of you, like a, uh, I can't remember the thing, but it was like bagpipes or something. And it was (laughs) just this very funny visual image of of a man being so masculine that he's got like 10 cocks and 50 bollocks. And that's one of those things where I think, Someone must have done that before because that's uh, yeah. so funny. But well, I, when I came up with it, I remember that for me was the best gig I had on that otherwise yeah. terribly un, un, <laughs> unhappiness-inducing program. I found the whole process phenomenally <laughs> difficult. Um, but specifically that set, I didn't sit down and write on my computer. I wrote by walking around the room, yeah. jumping over my bed in my hotel room, saying it over and over again, and consequently I added to it organically. So then. There would, later something else arose where it was like a big Welsh there was the Welsh flag and it was yeah. like a big dragon you know I imagine you've got a big red scaly cock yeah. breathing fire and then that made sense because it's a masculine Welsh man not just yeah. a masculine man yeah. and it was a really good bit um, and yeah that came about organically Did you, it seemed like you had a good time doing that one that one I really really enjoyed not uniquely some of the other gigs I enjoyed as well but every time I did that show I'd be in tears on the Wednesday being stressed out because we had to do the gigs right. on Wednesday night yeah, yeah. and we'd have spent from Monday morning or Sunday night often until the gig on Wednesday night being 
constantly poked, probed, made to do ridiculous challenges we hadn't really signed up for. Yeah. Prodded, interviewed over and over and over and over again. You get in a car, everyone arrive again. Sorry, with the camera didn't work. Can you just arrive in the car again? And yeah. all the while you're thinking, I need to perform, I need to write brand new jokes if you're playing the game, which not everyone was. I need to write brand new jokes and perform them to potentially 6 million people plus. I need to perform them live in 48 hours from now. Yeah. And you're asking me to get out of a cab again. <laughs> And I found it so un- that that process doesn't fit into the way in which I'm a comedian at all. No, no. Because I was chatting to um, it was David Whitney was on the last show, and he mm-hmm. when I saw him at the the um, at Dirty Dicks, he was testing out some material for a history um, stand up show. Mm-hmm. He had 48 hours to write. I think it was 20 minutes just on historical stuff. Lovely. Now I relish that challenge. That was yeah. why I wanted to do Show Me the Funny in the first uh, place. Ah, right, right. And 100 grand would have been nice. <laughs> but why I wanted to do it was because I thought the premise was fascinating. I thought it was terrifying. And yeah. Eddie, as I'd said years ago, you should always go towards things that scare you. And he was a huge influence to me. He was a Covent street performer and stuff. Yeah. I didn't know him at the time, but I knew it's part of why I went to Covent Garden. Um, and I thought, go towards things that scare you. Yeah. And as a result of that, what, we've got to go and be on, I was imagining like a submarine or an oil yeah. rig rather than Liverpool. <laughs> but um, as, much as much as I love the city, <laughs> don't email me. Um, but I was imagining crazy things and having to desperately write something. And that aspect of the show, I did enjoy. I just didn't expect that during the writing of it, we would be being poked and prodded and hauled over the coals and all, all the rest of it. You know? So was it, were there any of those gigs you thought, this was brilliant? Are you going to keep any of this stuff for other gigs? I love that Welsh one. I sort of... I haven't revisited any of that stuff. There's a couple of jokes, funnily enough, I came up with in Liverpool that I've used since. But what you got at the end of that process was five minutes worth of starting points. Yeah. What happened with me in the Welsh gig was that it, I just flowed. I got into that serene flowing thing and it all just lifted and went bam, 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 bam. The other gigs, although they were acceptable, they only really gave me five minutes of starting points and then next week you went and did a load of other stuff and yeah. I couldn't even remember what my starting points were afterwards. So I, I've more my experience on that show was so unpleasant broadly yeah. that I put that all to bed and then got on with writing something else. Do you this is something I'm struggling with at the moment, but I've done I've got about three sets, but they're all sort of one subject sets. One's about being manly, one's got two, one's about um being camp and Lego. Um how do you segue between different subjects? Do you just stop, carry on, or do you do a little flow? It's a million different ways to do yeah. it. That's you know, and that's one of those things that like don't ask people for advice. How do you want to do it? You know, yeah, there's 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 several techniques that people use. You see, every year you'll see someone do. Uh, I say every year, you know, on the, on the competition yeah. circuit, or that's normally where I see most new acts. Yeah. Every you know, every so often you'll see someone go just do no segue at all. Like so, here's the thing about hedge trimmers, and here's the thing about an octopus, and then stop and go. I don't do segues and get a laugh out of it. Everyone does that. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? That's one way of doing it. Um, some people do it really well. Joe Wilkinson does that. Or used to do that very, very well. We started around the same time. But you do see that premise a lot. Sometimes, I mean, with the classic one is Woody Allen. Woody Allen used to go, however, and then do a completely different topic. Ah, uh, okay. You can do anything you want. Um, what I normally do is I do try to sort of link them or have them make sense. Yeah. I don't know. My, I, t- I don't really write short jokes. I tend to write bits. So I'll go on and do, okay, I've got 20 that is broadly speaking on romance. Yeah. And goes from romance into when you're romantic with someone, I'm a bit kinky, and then you do kinky sex for a bit. And then that resolves into an argument that you had, and yeah. it, it just kind of makes sense as a bit. I, I suppose I try and... Because I'm trying to write my first five that's got just different subjects. Every little bit is a different thing. 
Like, do you mean one-liners, short jokes? Yeah, kind of. Um, like one bit's my daughter getting on the train with me, and then just as we sat down, she just pointed at the guy opposite me and said, "Daddy, that man's got no hair." Try and do that, and then work that into. Oh, there's some nutters on the underground, and then yeah. kind of. I'm kind of trying doing it that way. Kind yeah, of. yeah. That's a, absolutely. There's a, any absolutely any way you can think of to yeah. do it is worth trying. <laughs> I do. You, do you find this when you you write just a little some throwaway thing? You think, oh, just I'll just add that, and then he gets a massive laugh. Yeah, yeah. Do you think why? Why, why, yeah. why isn't the stuff that I've we sweated over? We don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> the audience know. The audience can see whether we're funny. The audience laugh at a bit or not. Yeah. And we can trick them into laughing. But the most natural, lovely, beautiful laughs are often things we're not aware of. Yeah, because I did one. I had that yellow T-shirt on and I said, um, I went and bought this T-shirt for e- off eBay. I didn't realise the eyes were right over the nipples. Looks like I'm lactating Marmite. And the first time I did that, they were all going, <laughs> I just woke up at two o'clock in the morning and just wrote that down quickly. Yeah. But then I did it. The Sometimes next... they just fall into your head. Yeah. Absolutely. Bizarre. I can think of some of my favourite jokes. I remember exactly where I was standing and what I was doing when yeah. a perfectly fully formed joke fell into my head. Did you write it down? Yeah, yeah. No, that one I kept. That one I kept. Absolutely. Yeah. What Can you do that joke? Do you, that? How often do you get asked? Oh, tell me a joke. No, not very often anymore. No. I don't respond to that very well. Uh, I mean, here, this is different. I'll have yeah. to tell you the joke. But conversationally. Yeah. People, I think it's changed actually, yeah. given that stand-up's everywhere now and it's a bit more of a commonplace thing. Yeah. I hear that less often. I hear, oh, tell me a joke. If yeah. I'm at a party and someone asks what I do for a living, yeah, I go, I'm a stand-up. They go, oh, make me laugh. I normally <laughs> say, I'm not at work. And I, and I let that not be funny because, because fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Which is a, a terrible, churlish thing to do. But I... Um, that isn't a gig that's like King Gong someone saying make me laugh yeah. me trying to do a joke there will not be an accurate representation of my job so why are we doing this why am I letting you have all the status <laughs> why am I you know what I mean this is nonsense yeah. I'm as, as annoyed as a doctor would be if you said what, are, what do you do and he said I'm a doctor and you said oh can you have a look at me I've yeah, got an ulcer yeah. and so and so. be like no I'm not at work I'm at the point now where if friends come and see me they say you're actually quite funny sure and putting the emphasis on actually, as in they oh, thought yeah. I was complete Mate, rubbish. I, I will have like friends of my girlfriend who've never seen me perform before or friends of friends of mine who've never seen me perform before. They'll come and see me. If I get the chance to see them beforehand, I always yeah. take the time to go, listen, don't worry. If it's awful, I mean, it, it probably won't be awful. <laughs> but if it is, I won't be embarrassed at all. Yeah. Because they are in such a sort of crisis state of when you go to see someone who you're going to have to react with, interact with socially... They're thinking, fuck, I hope he's not awful. Yeah. I hope this isn't the worst night of my life. Good, what am I going to say? And I just think it's polite to say in advance, yeah, you know, don't worry about it. So that won't change. People when people going, oh, actually, quite funny. <laughs> do you ever um, do gigs with other comedians and then they don't do very well? What do you do? Do you go, oh, no, it was it was the room. It was definitely the room. Or are you, are you quite honest with other comedians? Are they honest with you? If, if I like well? them, I'll be honest with them. And I'll say... I, I, do you know what? I, don't, I, mean, I can't say anything better. No. Than, if, if I don't... You've got Goldsmith admitting you're not liking people, which is quite rare. Um, if I think it didn't work, if I think they're lazy about their comedy, yeah. if I think they're bullish, if they've done that thing which annoys me every time, if they've been casually homophobic, if they've gone, oh, I check shirt, broke back mountain, yeah. if they're that sort of person, chances are they won't have had a bad gig because that shit plays really well. But if if I don't have time for them, I'll just go, oh, yeah, tough room. You know, if I like them, I'll go, how was that? Yeah. In a, in a sort of a, here's your opportunity now to talk about it if you'd like to, but you don't have to kind of way. 
and I'm happy to say now at the, yeah. the inverted commas level at <laughs> which I now reside that I don't there aren't that many terrible gigs and if there are you know if someone has a, a rougher gig it's yeah. not a, no one dies anymore really um, if someone has a tough gig then then the chances are they'll bring it up they'll come off and go what the fuck was wrong with them yeah. and if I really like them and if I really know them well I'll say something like you actually caused that yourself, ah. you know, because when that person did that, you said a thing that someone already mentioned in the evening and you didn't know, and then you lost all the status. And then, and then when you tried to recover it, you went into that person too hard yeah. and, and they'll go, fuck you, man. And then they'll calm down and go, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, it's not my place. I'm a, I'm a bastard for unsolicited advice. I, I'll go up to acts I don't even know and go, do you know what? If you said that the other way around, that uh. I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> you've mentioned dying a few times on your other podcast. Um, what do you mean by dying? Is it just literally people not laughing or Mate, you're worse not. than that? You're not. No. Because I had I did Dirty Dicks a couple of weeks ago and I'd done a gig the night before. Yeah. I'm not going to say smash dig. No, no, no. Because <laughs> um, it went really well. So I thought I'd just do exactly the same thing. Just there's four cabbies sitting in the front row with their arms crossed. And all and the next row was the other comedians and then everyone else was at the back. So you're kind yeah. of sort of chipping over the top of it trying to yeah. get your jokes up there. So they weren't really laughing. I'd have thought, um, it, maybe that's what dying feels like, but... No, mate. No. <laughs> Do you know what? You're when you know, send me a tweet. <laughs> yeah. Send me a text. Just, just all I want from you is a tweet or a text that just goes, I know. <laughs> because you'll know, mate. You will know. When you can... I know who said this. I don't know. I heard this in conversation. It's not mine. When you can hear them blink, Ooh. that's when you know. Well, my worst death, I've referred to it before on the show, um, I remember my skin crawling. I remember my mouth going clicky yeah. and dry. And it was loads of industry in the room and I knew that they knew what a clicky mouth meant and I knew that they knew and they knew that I could hear them knowing what that meant. And uh, it was absolutely hideous. It, it's hideous. You feel like yeah. killing yourself. Yeah. I haven't had that yet. I don't know about killing yourself, but <laughs> you definitely want to get the fuck out of there. You'll know. It feels like when, because I've, I've got two kids and whenever a friend of mine has a baby or you know, they're pregnant or whatnot and they go, oh, it's going to be really easy and whatnot. I just go, no, it's... I know exactly what they're going to go yeah. through. We're, I think we're the opposite of that now. You've been, yeah. you've had the death baby. That's a lot. <laughs> so you know exactly what I'm going to go through. Can we call this point. episode? If you do subtitles, can we call it "Having the Death Baby"? <laughs> <laughs> death baby. God, that's uh, that doesn't sound too good. Uh, right, so we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for this. It's been amazing. No worries. Um, Happy to. I've been JQ. You. Oh man, I've been SG. You've been yeah. calling me James. I've been calling myself JQ. Don't be all cool and. Oh, hit. really? Yeah. Were you? Oh, I fucked it. Sorry, sorry, everyone. His real name is James. If you just say JQ once. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. And then I'll insert it. I'm not doing it, not doing it mate. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank and you. Um, I'm sure you'll plug the podcast, but if I you will. if you don't, mine is uh, available from <laughs> www.comedianscomedian. Oh, that was two W's. I fucked it. www.comedianscomedian.com. And if you go there now, you'll see a landing page which advertises all the guys that we've got um, for the Edinburgh run which is at 5.15pm every day in the Gilded Balloon and includes such guests as Al Murray, Sarah Millican, uh, Rob Delaney, David Baddiel, Greg Proops, Ed Byrne, Andrew Maxwell. I've never had a plug on my show before. It feels very, not? I feel violated. Mate, <laughs> I'll plug you on mine. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs>